This week's episode of On Comedy Writing is brought to you by Handy. There's um two things I want to get done this week in this uh, in this ad, and that is I want you to use Handy. I also want to gain Twitter followers. My Twitter's at the real ask J. Not a great Twitter handle, I know, but uh, that's what it is. I'm gonna so what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna read some Handy copy, and then I'm gonna read a tweet of mine, and uh, you know maybe that'll leads you to do both so handy is a website where you can book top rated home cleaners and handymen friendly vetted professionals at your doorstep just pick a time and we'll do the rest uh, my tweet i'm having problems with the second act of my screen pro screenplay oh jesus christ i'm getting a little nervous you know i don't i don't like reading my tweets but here we go i'm having problems with the second act of my screenplay the problem is i wrote the movie second act now that's a reference to the the Jennifer Lopez movie, you know. I nothing against the filmmakers, just uh, I think that looks kind of bad. Uh, that got one like on Twitter. So handy, experienced and background check professionals, easy online payment rescheduling, affordable and flexible cleaning plans. They have it all. Um, here's another tweet. I'm a writer, so uh, yeah, I Google some pretty weird stuff. In case anybody's monitoring me, I sporadically Google. I'm a writer doing research for a project. Also, I'm responsible for every murder in Kansas City since 1991. Um, another tweet there. Uh, kind of a long one. Not Definitely not 140 characters, but you know, Twitter's not 280, of course. So, um, I wasn't doing research for a project. <laughs> and I guess I also didn't murder anybody. So uh, two two retweets. One of them was the on comedy writing account. That's how I control that, so that doesn't really count. So really one to retweet in uh in eight likes. Um request your favorite professionals. Every cleaning is insured, cleaning supplies included. They also do furniture assembly, interior painting, hanging pictures and shelves, TV mounting, plumbing, electrical handyman, and more. And I guess one more tweet here. Um, so in kind of a, um, an asterisk thing, you know, as it suggested, this isn't, this is like preamble. Um, okay. For this joke to work, you have to know the television show, Adam ruins everything. And you have to pretend that Adam Conover is having gay sex with me. So that's the end of the preamble. And then it says, Adam ruined my ass. Um, uh, eight likes. Uh, yeah, not really proud of that one. <sighs> so, book a cleaner today and save by going to boardwalkid.com slash handy. That's boardwalkid.com slash handy. Follow me on Twitter. This is a Boardwalk Audio podcast. On comedy writing, on comedy writing. <laughs> Thanks for downloading this episode of On Comedy Writing, the podcast about the business and craft of writing comedy. I'm your host, Alan Johnson. We've got a great episode, but first, the best way to support the show is by going to boardwalkaudio.com slash oncomedywriting. Click the supporter artist button, shop on Amazon like in Earlywood, we get a little kickback. Our guest this week is Scott Vroman, uh, whose sketch group Picnic Face wrote a book, made a movie, and had a TV show in Canada. So for all the Canadian fans... Is a big episode. It's also just cool learning about like the comedy scene in a different country and how uh, Scott, you know, broke into America through that. We also talk a lot about uh, writing on the famous Canadian show This Hour is 22 Minutes 
and the new Netflix show Patriot Act with Hassan Minaj. So here is Scott Vroman. Uh, Scott, thanks for coming on the show. No problem. My pleasure. Uh, where are you from originally? Uh, I'm from Canada, around uh, between Toronto and Montreal, a place called okay. Napanee. <laughs> A uh, small town. Is that what you say to most Americans because they won't understand otherwise? Yeah, nobody's heard of Nap. If people have heard of Napanee, it's usually in the context of Avril Lavigne because she's from there. Oh, okay. And for some reason, a lot of people know what town she's from. So Interesting. In the past, like, yeah, 10 years or so, that seems to crop up a lot. Uh, did you like growing up in Canada? Growing up there? Yeah, of course. Yeah, it's, it was it was nice. Yeah, I mean... Uh, it's cold, but no much more than here, really. And, uh, oh, really? Not much more than New York, yeah. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it's good. Free health care. Uh, nice people. Yeah. It's a nice place. Uh, were you into comedy at a young age? Yeah, but I got into this, uh, like, professionally pretty late, but I was always, like, <clears throat> a fan of it. It's always what I was most interested in, what I, what I watched the most. Uh, and then... Yeah, I think in university I wrote for like a comedy paper mm -hmm. there, and it was a little later on though that I actually got into comedy itself. Did you, what did you like? Uh, what did you like growing up? Like, what kind of comedy stuff did you watch? I guess Saturday, like Saturday Night Live was my main exposure to like sketch, and then The Simpsons and Seinfeld, Friends, mm -hmm. that kind of thing when I was younger, and. When I was older, I guess I got into, I don't know, I got into weird things like old British sketch, like, but that was like more in university. Mm -hmm. I explored that a lot. Wait, but, which British sketch? Uh, even like, I guess Big Train was the first oh. one that I had just, it's a pretty obscure small one, but Simon Pegg was in it, who oh. went, went on to become famous. Mm -hmm. But uh, it was just a show that took really absurd situations and did the acting really straight so they would have like this is before the office they'd have like a sketch of like the devil and jesus in an office like working together and like jesus is the boss and and the devil is like a shitty employee and just like playing it re totally straight of like two people it's as though they were acting like without the makeup or costumes anyways it was very kind of experimental but it, when it worked it was pretty mind-blowing i guess there's a, probably a lot of like obscure uh british and canadian stuff that is very interesting that people just don't know about i mean less so canadian really <laughs> i'm not gonna totally throw my country under the bus <laughs> but like uh britain has a unique like even though it's only like twice the size of Canada, like it, it has a much like deeper cultural uh, attachment to sure. comedy, and like there's a lot of, uh, I don't know, there, it, it's just a really a part of the culture in a way it isn't really anywhere else like that I yeah. know of. Because uh, they do, I mean, because they also maybe it's because of the way they do shows where it's like six episodes, but yeah. They cycle through like the personalities get to like do what they want pretty much. Yeah, I think through the BBC, especially, like, there's a lot of creative freedom and a lot of people even coming through the radio and getting sketches through that. Like, the Mighty Bouge started on the radio. I think Mitchell Webb started on the radio. Um, and, yeah, and, and just uh, giving a more, yeah, like, variety of voices. And things like you watch, like, The League of Gentlemen or some other things just, like, 
or brass eye and think like i can't even believe this stuff got on television mm-hmm. like it's so out there just... I've, I've never seen brass eye but i know i need to that yeah, jam the, or like the... yeah the day-to-day and brass eye are like the day-to-day it's like over 20 years old now and it's still like is the best political satire basically mm-hmm. and it really holds up because it just hits the broad strokes of it like uh the satire it's not hooked into the current news at all but armando Inucci's never done anything that sucked everything he made yeah. was good um and he's still making great stuff he's doing he's doing something like a trump thing soon right uh i i don't know yeah i don't know i, I mean the last thing i saw was the movie he did yeah the, the... Uh, the death of stalin mm-hmm. which was amazing but With much different than i thought going in but i like the stalin yeah yeah i mean it's it's his style everything is really real but he creates uh the hardest thing is like creating good characters and he just has this he can write incredible jokes but also create incredible characters mm-hmm. and write incredible stories he's just like he's genius yeah yeah did you so did you go to college uh, yeah, university, I guess we called it in Canada. It's like college in Canada is like community college here and then college and then like university. I don't know. Anyways, <laughs> I went to Queens University uh, in Kingston. Did you, uh, at that point, did you know what you wanted to do? No, I went to business school. Oh, uh, nice. Yeah. And, uh, and so. Just like uh, Nathan Fielder. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he, where did he, he went in Vancouver though. Yeah um he uh oh yeah and then i did a master's in uh economics oh wow and then okay. i became an economist for a bit wow I was actually a oh. professional economist for a couple of years but it was very strange because during my when i was doing oh sorry this screws up the mic There's a little um, noise. <laughs> <laughs> uh, when i was doing my master's degree uh i went i was recruited for this job to be a government economist and then kind of the next week i was like oh well my kind of job is set up i got free time so i'm gonna go do amateur night at uh stand yuck yucks is the Mm -hmm. comedy chain in canada and so because over the years i had just sort of written down little things here and there so i just went up and did five minutes and did really well i was like that was fun but i still wasn't even imagining it like a career but one of the people watching was um, a sketch person in uh, in uh, the city, and they're in a sketch group called Picnic Face, and they did live shows. And so within a few weeks, I started doing live shows with them. And then within a few months, we did this video called Power Thirst, which was this uh, um, energy drink parody. Oh, right. Became, I remember this video, actually. Yeah, because... and that was like three Basically, went from like... I had just started even doing comedy tentatively to having this like viral video, like before viral videos were even a thing. Like it was like, it was a really strange experience. So all these opportunities came out of that. And so I went ahead and was an economist, but I was still doing picnic phase during that time. And then eventually we got like a book deal and then got a TV show and development that ended up getting, a season ordered and then we did a movie as well so i made the transition out into uh comedy that way so was was comedy like always in the back of your mind as you like went through like grad school and no never, never wow never. i never considered it a possible career because no one in my family my extended family no i had never 
known anyone that made any living from being an artist of any kind. Like it was so foreign to me. So yeah, it was it was gradually realizing that, oh, I can actually make some money doing this. And then I got sucked into it and now you know, I'm sucked into the roller coaster. And then, <laughs> but once you like find some success and then even when you have bad years, it's, it keeps you coming back because when it's good, it's, it's great. So. Mm-hmm. But so you got the job, like the job at the, was it the governor's, uh, the governor's the economist? De- de- department of finance, <laughs> the yeah. governor's economist, this personal economist. <laughs> um, and so that just gave you like the freedom you, th- you think to just, to kind of go it, for it a little bit, I guess. I mean, I, I, it, it. I had to find an economist job back. That was in Ottawa, and then in Halifax was where I met this sketch group and where everybody was. And a lot of people met there doing degrees, masters, or undergrad degrees because it's a kind of university town. So I eventually just sort of like luckily found an economist job in Halifax, which is like this tiny city, and there's probably five economists in the whole city. So. I I moved back and and did both things, but I mean I guess it gave me the free it gave me some uh, income and like was wasn't a Joe job so it was like at least it was like a good job right. like well, like a uh, a regular career job and I was still thinking at the time like you know I could fall back on this if things don't pan out so um, but yeah it was it wasn't as fun. How how long were you an economist and doing comedy at the same time? It was like a two year span. Wow, that's like kind of yeah. a long time. Yeah, it was. It got, to, but it got to the point where I was basically like working forty hours a week doing that and sixty hours a week doing comedy, and it was like I just had a meltdown and was like, I have to just try to give this a go on its own. And so, um, yeah, I I did. Uh, I I got very lucky about the timing because kind of i think what i was sort of running out of money was when we got the the movie uh we got funding for it and then literally at the rap party for the movie we found out the tv show got ordered and so yeah i had a lot of a lot of luck mm-hmm. early on really just time i pretty much spent all my luck up front <laughs> <laughs> how do you balance like doing your day job with your comedy i guess you couldn't at the end yeah i mean just really uh really slacking off <laughs> like really being a bad economist <laughs> i mean in the government it's easier to sort of hide like right. in your office and you go through time like days of just nothing to do so like it wasn't that hard to do both but the other the other thing was like it i couldn't really hide so i really was i was yeah i just felt bad i'm like i'm just like i'm doing a bad job i should just commit to one thing so <laughs> that's what i did and when you decided to uh to quit your economist job was that was that tough or was that like a very easy decision by that point uh it was it was tough it was definitely a risk it was probably the biggest just sort of overt risk i took but it was a calculated risk like i wasn't going to end up on this street if things didn't work out i'm like i got some savings and mm-hmm. my parents i think were a bit nervous but then once they saw a couple things start to come through and then they realized like okay he's not like when they thought like i was writing a screenplay with my friends it says okay you know whatever so does everyone else Mm -hmm. but then when we actually got the movie made they were like oh maybe this is like 
an actual career thing. So, right. And that was, I was just as nervous as them. So it helped me wrap my head around it too. So you got involved with, uh, with picnic face. That's your group. Mm-hmm. You got involved through your, through that, ske- uh, that standup set you did. Yeah. yeah. Had, so how did everyone else kind of meet together? They, I was the last one to join the group. There were seven of them and it just really happened organically. It was like, Mark Little, Evity Rosenkyle, Dooley started it as like an improv group, and then they started doing sketch, and then kind of they let people, anyone, kind of come and do sketch with them. It's just some people left, you know, some people stuck around, and some people left, and it was just a fit thing. And then I came, and we seemed to really gel, the eight of us, and then no one really joined after that. Uh, and then, yeah, we just started producing, like, YouTube videos, and um, yeah. And then it just became a big, uh, and then it all just sort of like, we had had a season of the television show, and then once that was canceled, everything just sort of fell apart, and we didn't. Mark, Andy, and I have, Andy Bush and I have done um, other, like, scripts and stuff together, like screenplays, but the group itself is, was kind of dissolved back when the show got canceled. Well, uh, why do you, why, why Picnic Face? What do you mean? As the, the name? name? As the name, yeah. Oh, I didn't choose it. I think it was like, I think the story was, we used to lie and tell people that it, we told interviewers that like, it was inspired by like some Marx Brothers thing. We would just make up stories, <laughs> but like, really it was just, I think sitting around mashing words together back when that was more, <laughs> I think that's kind of become passe, but mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it was just, it was like laughter knife, I think was mm-hmm. one ridiculous name that thankfully they didn't choose, but they went with. Uh, picnic face but it seemed to kind of capture our sort of like uh, silliness mm-hmm. i guess yeah and like we the, the group didn't do polit anything political at all it was just like very silly very absurdist uh sketch anything face i think is a good name for like a sketch or improv group. yeah i mean i guess yeah i think it works yeah it's a good stuff suff- <laughs> good suffix to keep in mind um sweater face <laughs> That's not bad, yeah. Joke face. It's uh, not great. Focus face. <laughs> Focus I'm just face. I'm just looking at things. <laughs> the worst improviser. I just saying things out loud that I'm looking at. Uh, so what's the Canadian comedy scene like in general? Uh, it's. I mean, it depends what you want to do. Like, it has a pretty thriving kind of stand up and improv. Like. It, in like Vancouver has a lot of great improv and and sketch and Toronto is the main kind of hub like comedy bars there and it's an amazing hub of like talent for any kind of show television's pretty spotty like it's the the right now it's pretty there's not a lot going on like mm-hmm. before I got Patriot Act like things are pretty dry like there aren't a ton of comedy shows but um is yeah, it uh creek is that is that canadian or yeah that's yeah. canadian yeah mm-hmm. there's a few kind of sitcoms floating around at any given time and then and then a couple sketch shows as well like right now is this hour is 22 minutes which i've worked on which mm-hmm. has like been going for like 30 years and then um uh baroness von sketch is oh, right. the, the other main kind of sketch show going right mm-hmm. now which is almost like as much as in America, honestly. There's not like yeah. a lot of ton of sketch shows right now. 
Yeah, it's true. And and Baroness is on IFC, right. their broadcast here. But yeah, like it's weird when we were like in like the late two thousands, I guess, like sketch was like there was hardly anything and then there was a ton yeah and then there's hardly anything again it kind of goes in phases it seems like it was like a a boom and now we're in the, the yeah bust. it was like amy schumer and kim peel and and there was just a bunch of stuff yeah. uh all over the place but yeah it all just sort of dried up crawl show yeah mm-hmm. so when you guys first started doing shows were they were your shows good <laughs> like live shows yeah your live shows yeah it, it was very hit and miss like it, i'm probably going back i would say you know no and i'd probably find it all embarrassing but i mean we we packed like a uh, a bar full of people every week to watch us so like i think we had a fan base but it, what i loved about it and what's unique to that time which i'll never have again is just the experimentation where we had this uh big audience every week and they were very forgiving in that like we we could still do things that bombed, but sometimes we'd do things that, like I can remember doing things that we had just no idea if they were funny or not, and then they would kill, and then sometimes they would completely die. Like it was very uh, polarized. Like it wasn't, uh, it, it, there was no sort of like, I don't know, middle of the road. It was, we took pretty big swings creatively. What was it? What's an example of one of those uh, one of those sketches that could have gone either way? I did something once where I probably I, yeah. I mean, I haven't done this in years, but it was. It like, looks like you're about to do like literally do something like, big right now. <laughs> you just like move the uh, water out of the way for a second. I'm like, do I want to go through all what this thing is? <laughs> I just I woke up with this really weird idea, and <clears throat> I told everyone about it, and I didn't I didn't do it. It was like, what if I go up? And, uh, anyways, it was a very weird concept and eventually what it, it came out as was I went on with Kyle and we started like a sketch where I would go like, uh, I got a really good idea for this like TV show and, uh, you, you take someone off the street and then you give them a million dollars and they can spend it on anything they want. And then he says, his only line of the sketch is, are there any restrictions? And I'm like, no, anything. Like, they, they, they could buy, like, a big, like, a bunch of Snickers. Like, whatever. Like, Kit Kats. <laughs> and then I would just go through, like, and say, like, uh, I guess you guys don't have like Charleston Chew. I, I would literally just slowly go through every chocolate bar I could think of <laughs> until I just literally ran out of things to say and stopped. And what I had expected to happen was the audience would get mad. Uh-huh. <laughs> like I would just like torture the audience. But what happened was that they would then say, somebody would say something. Like there would be this uh. si- the <laughs> silence that would stretch for like, a minute and then someone would suggest a chocolate bar and then I'd repeat it and then I'd say it and then I'd go anything, anything. And then someone else would say something and I'd go anything. And then eventually, inevitably someone would say like a joke or something they thought was funny, Mm -hmm. but that didn't make sense. And then I'd just stop and I'd glare at them and then, then it would end. And so we did that. We did that in different shows 
and it would just like we it made no sense like it was something that like yeah. i'll never have something that experimental again that actually worked <laughs> and uh i did it like in a thousand seat theater once like in vancouver and they they flew us all the way to the vancouver comedy fest <laughs> <laughs> and then we did like and all we did was that sketch that's all you did yeah oh <laughs> we just did what well no we had like little shows but at like the big show mm-hmm. Where, like, David Cross, Maria Bamford, like, all these big, like, comedians were on the show. And we opened it. And it was just me and Kyle just doing, just torturing the audience <laughs> with that. But it seemed to work. I don't know. That's a lot of fun. Because people say, like, there's a rule of thirds or, like, a real rule of 20 thirds where you just, like, keep going. And then, like, there'll be, like, ups and downs through it. Yeah. But I like even that, the like, the uh, interactive part of it is pretty fun, too. Well, the way Andy Bush described it in the group, he's like... He's like, it's like you're bending the fourth wall. Like, you don't break mm. it. It's like, because I get to this point at the sketch where I go silent, and then I start, and I gradually start to look at the audience, or start mm. to look at specific people, and then, I don't know, it was just, people would laugh really hard. I I still don't quite know what happened there, but it was fun. That is, that is the fun of, like, live performance, that so you can yeah. kind of play with. Well, yeah, the... we couldn't put that one on the TV show. Right, yeah. <laughs> That was live only. <laughs> you you plant people in like a, a crowd or so. You film a theater. Yeah, it wouldn't work. No. <laughs> what was like your your process for like writing sketches back then? Back then, it was very uh, much less systematic than I write now. It was just like struck by moments of inspiration. Like it was really sort of I don't know it, random. Not in a way that, like, I wouldn't recommend it. Like, I think, but we had so many different ideas to work on that it it was fine. But, like, these days, like, if I, it's, like, I try to, I can, like, generate ideas, like, a bunch of them and then just kind of weed them down. But back then it was more, like, Mm -hmm. I don't don't even know. What's your process now for generating ideas? Well, now I'm working on, like, a show hooked into right. the news. And even, like, this hour's 22 minutes. Like, when I was there, it was, like, a political show. So it was all based on current events. So it's, like, really all you're doing is, like, looking at the news and then finding different ways to spin that into a sketch or, or concepts. Mm-hmm. But um, it's it's really hard to do absurdist sketch premises because they really can... Yeah, there's no specific way to generate them. It's tough. Right. I'm kind of glad I don't do it anymore <laughs> for that reason. I really don't miss it for that reason. It's kind of torture. What do you mix a good sketch for like live theater? What's that? What what, what do you mix like a good sketch for live theater? I mean, I don't know. Like things we did, anything that involved the audience, I guess. But it was more like. Yeah, I'm trying to think of things that just didn't work on the TV show or that couldn't translate. Like, um, yeah, I'm not really sure. Like that specifically make a good live sketch. Like beyond the stuff like that chocolate bars thing where mm-hmm. like I used the audience. Uh, I feel like anything can be filmed that you can do right. live. Like, mm-hmm. but there's certain th- and certain things you can't get across on stage that you can on film like it's more it's so much more flexible right um 
That's a good question. You stumped me. I know. <laughs> uh, how does a sketch group become successful, you say? That's, yeah, I don't know. It'd be good. <laughs> it be, well, I mean, not to be like, be good, but also be lucky. Because, I mean, I don't like, I sound cocky when I say that be good. But like, there were all, there were other good sketch groups in Canada. But like we, because of the videos that did well online, they worked as sort of like ads for mm-hmm. like our other videos. So we were able to get other stuff watched that wouldn't have been otherwise. But like... I mean, now it's all like you can film anything like just that. That's anything I would recommend to a new group would be like, yeah, just just film stuff and don't. I think our strength was like, don't don't hesitate to like kill your babies or like if you film a whole thing and spend two days filming something and then spend a bunch of days editing it and you put it together and it doesn't work don't put it online like Mm. just don't like there are all kinds of stuff that we just um never put online because we're just like it's not good enough like yeah and i and i think the main kind of like weakness i'd see at least at the start of when youtube was starting out was people would make sketches that were way too long like ours would be like two minutes three minutes at the absolute most and people were putting up five six seven minute sketches and they just like they just it just doesn't work like mm-hmm. it's too much like saturday night live is the really the only one like i put together a package for snl and it was i realized like oh i've never written like a sketch as long as snl does <laughs> like i've and never written a f- six minutes yet they they did a 13 minute cold open not too long ago that's insane which uh, was shocking i think it was the kavanaugh yeah. One with Matt with Matt Damon yeah. as Brett Kavanaugh. Yeah, it's it's almost like it's its own thing. Like yeah. it's like there's there's nobody else. Like kids in the hall would used to do that too. But even they got shorter like over time. Mm-hmm. Like they they started out doing stuff like that. Um, uh, I forget what I was saying now. Uh, well, it's funny you mentioned um, not putting up like a, a sketch that's bad. If you you know you worked hard on it for like a while, and also. <laughs> Choosing like when to well because I had a uh, Nick Rutherford from Good Neighbor, oh okay, and, and he was talking about how there's like so many sketches that people haven't seen. We were that big did. fans of them. Like oh, when we were putting stuff online, like their YouTube stuff, mm-hmm. like early on, like we we love those guys. And, and he said that they there's so there's like a whole um, hard drive of stuff that they thought like wasn't good enough. Yeah, and you could tell like the, yeah, the stuff they put on they didn't put out a lot of videos, but they were really tight. They yeah, were really good. And he also said um, that they didn't have, like, a schedule. Like, didn't, like, put up a video every week or even every month. Yeah. And if they did, it would have maybe, it would have, like, made the quality worse. Which is interesting because, like, you think today in this, like, SEO world or whatever, you think, like, people probably, there's, like, sort of of pressure, I guess, to do a thing, have, like, a schedule. Yeah, like, but when YouTube was starting, like, that wasn't even, like nobody even thought of that as being a thing like right. it, it was really it, we had that exact same attitude where it was like we had no schedule it was only if something was good enough some there were periods where we put a few up within a couple months and we'd go six months with with nothing so um but yeah uh we definitely had a similar philosophy yeah so was uh was the book the first big thing to happen yeah weirdly yeah like I honestly didn't believe everyone when they told me that there was some email that I didn't see from HarperCollins. 
uh, and yeah, I, I still don't know what the logic was there because we that was the hardest project as far as like the actual time for like the time for like the money was the absolute worst <laughs> of anything to the point that I don't think I'd ever do a book again. Yeah, that sounds like the book industry right there. <laughs> yeah, like it was, but they gave us a huge like. I mean, not huge when it was split up between eight people, but like a pretty sizable advance. And we we never came close to making that back for them. Like I still get the statements in the mail that it's just like, yeah, it's it's a joke. But I still think there's some funny jokes in the book. It was too long. They made us do, make it like 250 pages, which is more than it should have been. And so there's stuff in there that shouldn't be like, that's not good. But <laughs> but there were some funny things in there and and concepts that ended up being kind of useful later on but uh yeah that was weird that was a weird just thing so did they email you like out of the blue yeah and i think it had to do with we did power thirst but then there was one we did call like all about halifax which is just sort of a parody ad about uh the city we were in um like a parody tourism ad that was just really absurdist and crazy and I think it was based on that. It's like kind of do that, but for Canada and make it 250 pages and a book. So (laughs) yeah, we did it. Somehow we actually did it. And I think it was sort of like on the shelf, but then uh, like we submitted it and then months and months went by and then we got the movie and then the show. And then I contacted them again and pushed them. And then they actually put some marketing behind, put it together because it was like in 20 fall of 2011, the the movie, the show, and the book all came out at the same time. So there mm-hmm. was like this cross marketing thing, and, and uh, but then the show got canceled and it all fell apart. <laughs> well, what, what was that moment like though when when all three of those projects were out at the same time? It was great. It was like I still didn't have the attitude because I'm like it's Canada. It's I I still didn't have a big expectation as far as like oh this is like we've made it and it's my career. I was still working on side projects and I, that's when I started doing like political satire You're stuff. You're still an economist. <laughs> no, I, was, I, I had left that, but I was still like, I need to think about what the next move is because this, I, I, the show might last a few seasons maybe, but that, that would be only if we got picked up in the U.S. I know that like Baroness got like some kind of IFC thing. So that never came to fruition. So um, but I got lucky getting, um, that, yeah, that was like fall 2011. And then by spring, you know, there was nothing. <laughs> and then, <laughs> but thankfully I got like hired to do the Cyrus 22 minutes and be like a correspondent on the show. And I just fell right into the next thing. So I got lucky that way, but, uh, yeah, things are, uh, it was, it was a fun moment though. Mm-hmm. Um, we had a real hot minute in Canada. Mm-hmm. How how do you write comedy about a country? Like, how do you, like, kind of avoid but also lean into, like, the stereotype humor of that? It was just really, it was just would be in our style. So, like, it was just trying to think of some of the things. Like, one of my favorite things I did was just Canadian, like, chart toppers. It was, like, I took, uh, the I just made a list of, like, the 100, uh, the top song of every year in Canada 
and then but it had nothing to do with canadian stereotypes i would just look through what were the actual kind of popular songs from like 1900 to 1910 mm-hmm. and then just sort of riff on that and parody them like songs had really long names back then it was, it oh, was really? like yeah these really formal long names and so each decade really had like uh it was just sort of straight up parody it wasn't mm-hmm. even related to canada most of the time and if it was, it was just in an absurdist way. Like one was 100. Like there was that cliche of like all the different words uh, Inuit people have for snow or different kinds of snow. <laughs> okay. And so we had like a 100 different types of snow. And so some were like, you know, snow that um, thought it loved thought it loved you but it really just loved the way you made it feel and like ridiculously specific Mm -hmm. things like that so yeah it was really just through our silly filter what uh what surprised you about writing the book uh how much work it was (laughs) (laughs) uh yeah it uh yeah it was a lot of work and how rigorous the sort of editing process is and how yeah uh yeah just that it's so much work that i wasn't gonna do it again that's my (laughs) my main lesson (laughs) uh so what came next the the sketch show or the or the movie uh the movie was next Mm -hmm. and that was still probably the most fun experience i've ever had it's called roller town Mm -hmm. i think you can still get it on itunes it was on netflix for a while um but yeah, again, just a super silly, really low budget, but also like the, with the book and that, like just, and even the show, like total creative freedom, like really no restrictions on what we did probably to our detriment. <laughs> and uh, we probably could have used some veterans advising us. Um, but it was, yeah, a movie about roller skating, like in the late, set in the late 70s, uh, a roller skating uh, disco roller skating club taken over uh, by mobsters and turned into a video arcade <laughs> and uh, yeah I learned how to roller skate but I, I was really bad and so we just wrote it in I was like a villain like the preppy roller skater uh, who wore like suede roller skates and <laughs> a sweater around his neck and so I we just made my character not be able to roller skate very well and it ended up being funnier because I'm <laughs> supposed to be high status but I'm constantly my uh, constantly getting undercut by myself so. right uh but the actual like four we, we only had four weeks to shoot it and it was uh crazy but it, like i remember like i'd work so hard and i'd be so tired and i'd wake up but i'd be so like energized and so like happy and yeah it was so much fun and yeah for the rap party for that at the rap party we found out at the tv show so we went right into wow that yeah that must have been a good night yeah, it was crazy because I was really just being struck by like, oh, shit, what do I do now? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like literally that night. So, yeah, the timing was insane. Very lucky. So how did the movie come about? Uh, that was just a script. It was a script that Mark, Andy and I wrote, the two guys in the group. And we did like a fake trailer for it um, before we had even finished the screenplay just so we could get a producer to like look at it. And there were some Canadian producers that took an interest and they really kind of understood the system of Canadian film and getting like, we could have never got this made in the U S like it was, they basically kind of knew how to 
participate in the Canadian film funding system and the kind of different oh, right, regional okay. pools of money for it. So what happened was basically something else was in line and it fell through. Somehow it fell through in pre-production and there was this amount of money that needed to be spent <laughs> and by the end of and we were kind of next in line and like and it had to do with like a distributor uh supported it and so yeah it, i don't know the exact exact kind of machinations that helped that come about but it was pretty uh crazy that that got like almost a million million dollars to like wow. make a like a completely ridiculous movie yeah that barely made sense <laughs> <laughs> Uh, when you, when you're writing the movie, how much are you focused on like the jokes versus like, you know, the, the emotional beats of the story? Uh, we like, this was the first screenplay we had written and I, I wouldn't recommend doing what we did at all because we were <laughs> basically, cause we were coming out of the sketch writers. So what we did, there were a bunch of different nights where Mark Little and I would watch old movies like dance movies from like the 1980s like like footloose roller boogie was a big inspiration for it um can't stop the music like skate town usa all these like old what was another really girls just want to have fun that was a great one uh and we just sort of mined them for cliches and we just drank energy drinks and riffed on power thirst yeah uh riffed on different kind of cliches we picked out or diff- different weird things and then we sort of like through that created it but then by the time we got into editing and then we're like we really had to focus on emotional beats and other things like that and, and as we got closer to it it changed so much and we had great improvisers like george basil was the main kind of mobster and he's gone on to do a lot of stuff since then but this was like his first credit and he was the only american we had in it but he was so uh amazing and then he could he would you know improvise and other people would too and we had a week of rehearsal where we just sort of worked at the the dialogue and kind of just creating games in every scene mm-hmm. where like it was more like the um like wet hot american summer style of like sketchy just sort of like creating a trying to create a game in every scene and to the detriment of any emotional arc or plot <laughs> <laughs> have, have you written scripts since then yeah we uh we finished the first for the first time we actually finished one there were a lot of false starts we had one about a cult that we were writing forever that just never uh got finished but the the last one we wrote uh it's called beach bonkers bonanza and it's a beach movie set in canada uh, in like the sixties, but like it was, it's as though it was being like unearthed by like, like for like a 50th anniversary, by oh, like fun, the man. national film board of Canada. And so we had a, a version of it that was interspersed with all these interviews of people who were in the movie. Uh, but that didn't really work out. So it just ended up being a sort of, uh, thing set in the sixties and it's okay. Like I kind of like it, but it's the kind of thing where, you know, people will read it agents or whatever. And like, yeah, it's really funny, but I don't know who this is for. <laughs> Interesting. So I think it's, if you want to really sell something, we, we had an unusual amount of freedom and support in Canada, but if you really want to sell something, it's got to have, uh, 
it's just got to have emotional arcs and characters and it can't be just heartless jokes right i personally don't think it like maybe certain things can still kind of get made like that but at this at this time anyway and if you want to get something made in the u.s it it has to have that deeper element at least a little bit well it's like it's like almost impossible to get i mean i mean there's just so few comedy movies made anyway yeah like generally here it's like you got and that's and it could all change, right? If it's like a star reads it and it's right. like, oh, I want to do this. Well, then it'll get done. Like mm-hmm. it's, that has a lot to do with it. Yeah, unfortunately. It's a, it's a very frustrating time for comedy movies, I think. Because like most of them suck. Most of them are Yeah, it's bad. really hard to do a good, it's really, comedy movies are really rare. Comedy shows aren't rare. Like there's lots mm-hmm. of great comedy shows, but uh, comedy movies are, are just so difficult because you've, you have to have the real meat of a movie in there and Mm -hmm. plot and characters and everything. But then the, uh, um, usually the list have like one or two funny set pieces. Like it's all about those set pieces, I guess. And even roller town, like the best parts were those like, um, yeah, basically like mini kind of sketches or set pieces that work out. I mean, I guess a lot of them involve Will Ferrell, like the ones that work. <laughs> and it's just because they're able to they're able to put a script together, but then also have all this improv and then right. find an editing, be able to have that flexibility mm-hmm. to and then, you know, do test audiences and stuff like that. But But even he's barely making movies these days. I feel like he hasn't yeah. made a good one in a while. He's yeah. Only made like a couple. I don't I I actually didn't see yeah. actually haven't seen any of his most recent ones, but well, now Adam McKay is making like real. He's making all serious like, movies, yeah. Like great serious. Yeah, movies. So, yeah, like, yeah. I hope he keeps doing that, but yeah. like, uh, yeah, it's it's tough to make a, a comedy movie because you need a star, but you need um, all those other elements too. Have you seen Game Night? I did. I thought that was good. I loved Game Night. Yeah, I thought that, that was, was really like good. the best comedy I've seen in a long, like in a couple of years, maybe even. Yeah, yeah, it was really good. Yeah, and it was like it had the big like reveals and fun moments, but like good characters and also like just really funny jokes here yeah. and there too. Like it's it hit all the notes. It was good. Yeah. Uh and so the sketch show. How how did that come about? Uh that was in development, I guess, from from after Power Thirst happened. I think we kinda got a development deal from our kind of YouTube videos and following and and I think it was kind of the movie kind of pushed them the extra bit to kind of follow through with it. Cause we had given up on it. Like it was a total shock when we found out we got it. Cause I just assumed that the, it was dead, which is usually the way development is. Right. Like, What's it like being stuck in that development process? Cause that must've been a couple of years to, at least. Yeah. And I've been since then stuck in other development processes and it's, uh, yeah, it's just slow and frustrating. It's it's a common experience just because creatively, like, you go through a frantic period of putting together something for the network to look at, and then it just sits there, mm-hmm. and then and then you get some feedback, which you may or may not kind of agree with, and sometimes mm-hmm. you'll just kind of go in a circle, which is like they think they want to go one direction, but you end up at the end of the day just giving them what you started with. So, yeah. Like, well, then, well, well, go ahead. 
I was just going to say, like, we had all these different high concepts, things where we were like, we were all living in an apartment building, but we were, we finding these kind of cute ways to do a sketch show. Uh, like we, we have these, yeah, it's all like set in an apartment building and then we go in and out of sketches. But at the end of the day, it was just, we're just going to do what we did on YouTube. And then we ended up stitching it together with just us as ourselves straight to camera talking in the thing we shot in someone's. Uh, like living room who was in the group and that ended up working weirdly like it yeah. was really simple and it, but editing wise it was really flexible because we could just talk to camera and um, and just do jump cuts and stuff and that's what ended up working but yeah it's that exploration of what what works and now more and more you need to do a kind of uh, proof of concepts before right. anything gets ordered so just it, to lower the risk it is interesting to think of like the sketch shows what they're like um i guess bases or story engine almost like it's so like Chappelle and key and peel they do like the audience instead mm-hmm. of like uh amy schumer no she didn't do that does she have an audience i don't know i, I don't think, think i so. mostly watched the her sketches online like i don't think right. I, I i don't know if i watched full episodes of that but like, oh, like mr show did the same thing so it's yeah. interesting to think what people do because it seems like there could be room for like something high concept like what, what you said, but I don't think anyone ever does. No, and does on, that. honestly, like Mr. Show is was the most watchable. Like I exhaustively watched every episode of every sketch show leading up to ours just because I wanted to make sure we didn't do anything that had already been done. <laughs> oh, right. So in the writers' room, we could say, "Oh, that's too much," like such and such or whatever. So we go a different direction, but. Mr. Show was like the easiest, like a lot of it doesn't age well, but Mr. Show was the most watchable, like for to watch a whole episode of it. Yeah. Of any sketch show, really. Do you think it's because of the, the links between sketches? Yeah. And I, I think it was just, they were great uh, hosts and, and engaging and, and their sketches were great, but it also just sort of like, even though they had these kind of little cosmetic ways to link them together that I think in retrospect they they don't think works anymore or right. they, they don't think they should have done but I think that they were good enough it was all you needed like to to put them together but yeah, yeah I think I think they've talked about it and said that they wasted so much time doing that apparently they would waste like a couple days on like one just trying to figure it out which is kind of yeah. funny to think about but yeah because like ultimately it didn't it really affect the viewing experience that much yeah. but they were just sort of these clever little things but they're not what you remember at all right but yeah i get that i think the one i think the one that they were talked about they couldn't figure it out and so they just had a the character walk by a tv and then they zoomed in on the tv yeah, and that yeah, was the start yeah. of the sketch and like yeah you don't remember any i'm just thinking about that now i'm like i don't remember any transition no. just that they existed but you totally remember the sketches so it's like yeah certain things you, I, that yeah you get caught up with it and no longer it just don't matter right what were the uh, what were the challenges in doing a television show? Um, I guess we had some pretty good guidance by ex- uh, experienced people like Mark McKinney uh, from Kids in the Hall was one of our executive producers, and then Gary Campbell, who was a writer on Kids in the Hall and like head writer of Mad TV, was our kind of guide as far as like shaping what we already the, the raw material of the sketch into like feeling like a tv show but honestly like in retrospect most of the most of it was interpersonal and <laughs> the kind of like struggles of it because it was eight people and eight eight 
different sets of ideas and different performers wanting to kind of have their moment in the show. And that's probably, yeah, the most challenging part, which mm. is, I'm surprised that we last as long as we did with eight people. Like it's unusual to have that many people in right. a sketch group and not have it uh, fall apart. Cause it's a lot of different, um, a lot of different things to, to balance, but yeah, the, interpersonal part of it and then the just actual production kind of uh working on the fly to make sure you got what you need for editing because we'd have to shoot so much because it was so low budget we'd have to shoot so much during the day and you're just like i just want to have enough so that when i edit this i'll have some flexibility like if this thing doesn't work then i can still kind of like make it work and then the editing process ended up being really involved because the editors like the editors were great and they were really nice, but it was like they weren't specialized in comedy editing. Mm-hmm. So we essentially had to all edit our stuff yeah. like sitting next to them uh, because our style is so was so um, uh, contingent on the on the editing. Like it's really kind of fast paced, or we'd find just ways to to end it. So. Yeah, the creative process really didn't stop from the writing until the when the editing was finished. Yeah, editing editing is so important in comedy. Well, it's writing. Like it's it's yeah. another form of writing, especially with mm-hmm. with sketch. I guess with anything, but like mm-hmm. with uh, absolutely with sketch. And we would create whole new things, like based on like we had just a bunch of random stuff on green screen, like that we would just use to do interstitials or make their own kind of things with Mm um yeah what did you what did you find was the difference between doing sketch um for the internet versus a sketch for television um just i guess that way of stitching it together as an episode those interstitial the kind of like story interstitials we'd sort of have three beat beginning middle and end of um a story in each episode and each episode ended up in a hospital somehow someone ended up in the hospital okay. so we ended up block shooting that where <laughs> we did all the endings to all the episode with someone in a hospital bed and that's fun um that was the main difference uh, otherwise it was really just what we were doing what we did on youtube when it came to the actual sketches mm-hmm. it was just more of it and better resources where we'd have like a crew instead of just like one of us holding the boom and right, like right. someone else holding the bounce and all of us <laughs> doing it ourselves. So if, if you could go back, would you do anything differently? Um, no, I don't think so. I think that there are people in the group that have said that they would, or like, I think a couple of people are like, we should have just stayed on YouTube and developed that base. But like, given how things worked and how hard it was for us, organizationally to get stuff done i don't think we ever would have produced that many sketches or that volume of stuff if we hadn't had the structure of of a production and deadlines and all that stuff so Mm -hmm. i'm i'm happy with like i I feel like it worked out as good as it could have given Mm -hmm. the circumstances i certainly don't have any regrets about it so so pick and face doesn't perform anymore no so do you do you miss having that that sketch group in your life yeah, I mean, it's like a past relationship, sort of. It was right. like having seven um, boyfriend-girlfriends, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, it, it was, uh, we were like a little family, and there was a really 
I remember really fondly and like we had a, a lot of amazing experiences, but it just like, you know, in the past in right. the same way that a relationship is like, it's like, um, that was great, but like, yeah, it kind of was what it was, but it, the, I, I don't see any situation where we'd ever come together again. Mm-hmm. What's your, what's your favorite sketch from your picnic face days? Uh, my favorite live one to do was that chocolate bar one yeah. I described. I think the ones I did on the show, I did one called Why Excellence Matters, which was still like, I guess the one I remember most fondly because it was like the first one I wrote and it was just a business presentation as a motivational speaker where I basically just spoke in absurdities. So <laughs> saying things like, we move you to where relationships reach and develop our progress in ways that don't just mold us but behold us and i would just say nonsense and like you know say and then i would have this powerpoint going behind me and that's one that we done on the show and also like um would do live as well but yeah i get actually the powerpoint eulogy is the other one we're essentially the same character just me in a suit Mm-hmm. giving a, a eulogy to someone at the office who died but doing it in the form of a powerpoint <laughs> presentation just this really dry matter of fact thing and yeah i like the powerpoint stuff powerpoint comedy is so funny to me uh yeah i mean it hadn't been done a lot before like i, oh, I guess yeah. i guess now it's been done a lot but so i i guess maybe it's not as new but uh yeah i really it it was such a great and and like I had come from a business background and stuff, right, so yeah, I yeah. knew PowerPoint and like so it was a natural fit for me when I was starting out to to use that format. But yeah, I like it. So you mentioned writing on uh, this hour has twenty two minutes. How did mm-hmm. that start? Uh, that was hired like initially. I got hired to, like write for the website while I was still in Picnic Face, and then uh, after Picnic Face, I got hired to be like a correspondent and staff writer, and then. Uh, yeah, just, you know, meeting with a showrunner knew me by uh, reputation at that point. Canada's not that big, so uh, they had heard You had a me. movie and a TV show? Yeah, and so I I don't remember if I had kind of put my name... I I may have reached out myself. I don't, I don't remember, but I had a meeting with a showrunner, and then I, yeah, worked there a season and then went to L.A. for like a, a year and a half and then went back to 22 Minutes and worked like basically remotely from toronto like Mm -hmm. uh writing jokes and sketches and stuff while i was doing other other gigs there and uh yeah it was it was uh it was good gig what brought you to la uh just wanting to i i wanted to break into the states for Mm -hmm. a while like it took before patriot act it took me uh yeah it was it was several years of like applications and and tried it. I did some work with Conan when I went down through oh, awesome. um, my kind of picnic vase portfolio. I was doing stuff for their website mm-hmm. that um, looked like it was going to turn into a full-time job, but then it just kind of like they didn't get the budget for it. Uh, so And they didn't want to keep doing stuff original on the website. So that ended up falling through. And then I developed another. That, that's show. changing now, I think, right? Conan's like all digital. So. Oh yeah. Yeah. And I still know people like involved. I know one of staff writers now and uh, yeah, it's, I'm glad he's like, he's smart to be, to be kind yeah. of evolving 
ahead of the curve. I'm very excited for that show. I'm gonna. I haven't watched Conan in a couple of years, but I'm gonna definitely jump back in. I think. Yeah, yeah, he's he's great. That was a dream come true. Like I, one of the sketches I wrote got on the actual show, like that got on the website, but then they put it in an episode of the show. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know until like that night. So I got a text from the guy I knew at the website saying your, your sketch is going to be on Conan. So I sat down and watched Conan, which I I like grew up on Conan. Yeah. He's like my hero. And, and uh, so that was so this kind of thing. When I came down to the States, things didn't happen often. But when they happened, it was like amazing. So mm-hmm. uh, I knew this was where I wanted my future to be. Mm-hmm. So on this Irish 22 Minutes, what was it like joining this like very established show? Like in the obviously in the middle of its run, um, good. I mean, it's, it was a well-oiled machine. Like it's very different than starting on a new show. Like mm-hmm. it's just, it's all you're just the kind of cog in the thing that already exists, uh, which in a lot of ways is most ways is great, right? Yeah, because <laughs> I just kind of wanted to do my thing and like uh, pitch my ideas, and and I got a lot of opportunity to to try stuff for sure there. It's good. What would you say is the difference between Canadian television and American television, like writing for them? Um, I, when I say more money, I don't just mean like I, I make more money here. It's like, but the money, like the amount of money that goes into budgets right. and just the amount of because of the viewership is so different. Like it just makes such a difference in so many ways to things mm-hmm. from the development process to uh even rehearsals like things not it you just not having as much time to do things so everything is um like working on patriot act now like they filmed the sketch and it didn't quite work so they filmed it again and i was like oh that would never happen in canada (laughs) (laughs) like they just went and spent twice as much money to reshoot as they did the first time because it, they didn't spend enough money or do enough to make it work. But it was like that would have just went on the air in Canada right. because you wouldn't have that money and flexibility to mm-hmm. to do that. So that's that's the main difference. Yeah. Like, And that's why a lot of people come to work here mm-hmm. from Canada as well. Uh, so you're currently working at a Patriot Act with, with Hassan Minaj. How did mm-hmm. you get uh, started with that? I just applied. I actually saw in um, like read in like Variety that he was going to get a show, and I said to my manager, "I really want to apply to that." And she had to go through like an old contact who works at Netflix now, and like, uh, but I managed to like get it in. Uh, but I was shocked that that they liked it because I'd, I'd submitted a lot of times over the past few years and had never really heard back. So after a while, you're like, maybe I'm not funny. <laughs> and then uh, so, yeah, they they wanted to interview me over Skype or in person. So I flew here because I'm like, I'm not going to risk a bad Skype connection. And it went well. And yeah, I got an offer. It was great. How do you approach writing a packet for a show that doesn't exist yet? Uh, just be a perfectionist. Yeah. Or, or sorry, like I'm sorry, I'm only list- I was only listening to the first half of mm-hmm. your question. Uh, a show that doesn't exist yet is different because, like, I did one for Colbert before he started too, and it was the new show, and it is like that one was actually harder. This one, it was like I knew 
from the way they designed the package that it was basically going to be right. an essay with jokes and the one to- it was two topics the one they gave you the research on it and then and then they um i think they sent us the link to like a pilot episode or maybe i got that later um but yeah it was basically pretty clearly like in the style of john oliver basically Mm -hmm. that kind of like they didn't say that but like in my head i was like okay this is an essay with jokes where i'm putting together an argument and a take and making it as funny as i can um colbert was harder because it was like sketches or different bits and different kind of like monologues that were yeah it was just it was weird and hard to tell but it i didn't have too hard of a time uh understanding what they were going mm-hmm. for based on what how they designed the package and then generally when you put your packet you say be a perfectionist yeah like it's um yeah just keep hammering away at the jokes again and again and again and like anything you can top and uh just keep going at it with volume and uh editing it down and make it as as tight as you possibly can because it really is like this short impression you're making and you can't afford to have like a shitty joke in there or something like because it could just kind of turn a person off so it's it was a lot of like i have like two friends who aren't comedians that i really trust to to run things by and who i send this stuff to all the time like have have people you know who uh aren't just going to be nice like i have two guys that like i i know that they're they have a similar sense of humor to me and they will tell me if something sucks like completely Mm -hmm. honestly like whereas other people will be like yeah it's great but that's not useful right right (laughs) so so you mentioned patriot act is comedic essays kind of kind of show what do you think is the right blend of at least uh, the package yeah well, yeah, that's kind of what it's turned into, yeah, for sure. What, what, do you, what do you think is the right blend of, like, comedy and information in these pieces? Uh, I don't know. It varies on the piece. Like, we, we've we done ones like Supreme, where it's kind of like a lighter topic, where it's maybe more joke-heavy, whereas, like, the immigration refugee episode is, like, a heavier thing and very personal for Hassan, so... Uh, that probably didn't have as many jokes. So I think it depends on the topic for sure. Like, but no matter how heavy the topic, like you still kind of pick your moments for jokes and then make them as funny as you can. Is that weird for you as like a comedian that you have to like deal with these very heavy stuff and there's very like, like not even like really setups for jokes. You know what I mean? Like you have to deal with like just information in there. Yeah, I mean, it's a very specific kind of thing that I think I'm a good fit for because, like, I I read about like I like I'm a news junkie person who reads about all this stuff anyways in my spare time, and like, uh, if I just wrote jokes but wasn't particularly interested in this these topics, I would it would be hard to do a job like this if if you weren't interested. So, um, I think that's that's the main part of it yeah how do you uh handle breaking news i guess on a show like this you kind of don't have to yeah do we don't so have much. to it's great yeah so we don't have to keep up with the latest trump tweet mm-hmm. or whatever it's like something that's in the zeitgeist but not breaking because otherwise we're going to be picking over because we tape wednesday night it goes on oh, wow. sunday yeah i didn't know you guys taped wednesday yeah so it's like 
everything's been done to death like yeah. whatever the latest drama is right so unless it's like a really different take we don't try to keep up with it yeah which is good because the oliver tapes are like i think on saturdays yeah i'm not sure or maybe fridays i don't know but yeah, yeah. so it's interesting that you guys yeah so it's great we don't have to that is because nice because otherwise yeah. you're changing right up into the last minute and mm-hmm. like we drive the graphics people crazy enough as it is <laughs> like changing stuff at the last minute so like yeah we wouldn't want to do that so you guys have done a couple episodes now how has the show changed since the first episode you'd say i don't know i don't know if it's really changed like we're we're still finding ways to kind of do those article twos like the after the main story we kind of have some episodes that have them and some that don't um and i think that maybe that'll be the main thing to change going forward but i don't feel like we've widely varied in format like over mm-hmm. the first cycle like we just finished the first cycle like i guess uh sunday will be the last episode of this cycle until uh january um yeah i don't i don't really feel like it it has it's it kind of like it really had its voice. We did test episodes and then there was a pilot episode as well. And it stayed pretty true to that. Mm. We've talked about other stuff, but there's nothing that that's been too wildly outside of that. How do you uh, stand out in this world of political satire? Cause it's like maybe the number one comedy on television now is political satire. Yeah. It's, it, I think it all has to do with Hassan's voice, like, because that was my first thought too. Like, what's going to be different about this? And I think, like, I think his voice is unique. So I think that way, that's great. And then, like, just format, like, look wise, I think it has its own look because of the the graphics and, um, uh, what else is it going to say? Oh my god, I'm blanking. I haven't eaten in a while. <laughs> um, uh, Cripes. Sorry, I forget. <laughs> no, no worries. Uh, I, w- I was gonna say something that was like, because I was gonna say ways the format is different. Yeah. Oh yeah, I don't remember what I was gonna say now. There are certain like I like the way it's shot because you have like those straight ahead shots of all the screens but when you come from the side it kind of looks like a stand-up special so it does have that real feel as like half stand-up half not which i also think is unique and good in a good way yeah it's cool to have a different visual than just like a guy sitting at desk yeah and the graphics team is amazing Mm -hmm. they've they've been able to like pull off some really cool stuff Mm -hmm. what would you like to be doing next uh, I don't know. I have my dream job now, so I'm not <laughs> even thinking about it. But uh, I hope this job, I hope this show goes for a while. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I really like, I mean, working on a political comedy show in New York was mm-hmm. is pretty awesome. But I mean, I have done, developed like half hours before and written spec scripts for half hours. So, I mean, I could see maybe breaking into that. Uh, at a different time but i'm pretty pretty content right now Mm -hmm. so yeah it's the curse of you finally get what you want and then now i'm stressed about losing it (laughs) (laughs) stressed about not getting it and then stressed about losing it once you get it okay so we're gonna wrap up with you giving your thoughts on a sketch idea okay um and so i do a sketch idea like every episode uh just to pull the 
the veil back. And um, this is maybe my most half-baked idea yet. Okay. So, just a little preface. It'd be Harold and Kumar go to White Castle, Mm -hmm. but done in the style of my dinner with Andre. And I don't know if that's maybe just a tweet and not a not a sketch. It's interesting. So what? So are they already at White Castle? So they're already at White Castle, which already kind of defeats the. I guess not. I, I didn't think about that. That kind of does defeat the purpose of that movie. I mean, I like the idea of the. I mean, my favorite nugget in this idea is uh-huh. as a satire of my dinner with Andre. But I, the danger is that people don't know. The reference, right? Like, right. It's a pretty, uh, it's a pretty uh, specific thing that I guess it's been a while ago now. Uh, I guess so, I just think it's, I just think it's funny to picture those guys and the conversations they have in those movies, but it's like shot sim- like very seriously, like my dinner with Andre. Yeah, I mean, I guess the way what I. <sighs> <laughs> I'm going to put a pin in the Harold and Kumar part of okay, it okay. and say, what if you had this dinner with Andre format, but you took people like not a comedy movie, but maybe something else that would be absurd in that situation. Oh, like interesting. Either like a really uh, conversation with a lot of conflict or like characters that somehow juxtapose strangely to that. Right. Like... So you, you think you think con- uh, something that had conflict would be good? I don't know. I mean, the premise, like, if you want to drill down, okay, okay what's the premise of this sketch? It's right. like, it's it's a juxtaposition sketch. It's taking, yeah, it's, it's, yes. You're, you're taking, like, a really dry kind of academic uh, artsy environment and mm-hmm. putting something not at all like yeah. that. And I guess I liked the highbrow, lowbrow part of yeah. it too. So maybe that's the way to go. Yeah. I think I would explore different uh, substitutes for Harold and Kumar. With, yeah. And another difficulty is like anytime you're using like, like Harold and Kumar, comedy yeah. in comedy, oh. it's kind of gravy on gravy. Like it's right. hard to parody comedy. Like it's already uh, goofy. Yeah. It's already so damn funny. Yeah, it's a good movie. <laughs> it is a good movie. <laughs> but yeah, so I guess, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. Okay. No, no, I, no, this is good. This if is I good. had a coffee and, and, and food in me, I could probably come up with an actual idea. But I, all I can do is like say, that's what I think the framework would be. But Right. No, that, that makes sense. List of ideas. Yeah, I can't, yeah, me neither. I can't think of the, the right thing. But I'll go back to the drawing board. I'll write it up. I'll, I'll email it to you. I'll write it up to the PDF. I'm, I'm happy to send it over. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I, 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 you seem serious. I definitely will not do that. Oh, okay. That'd be crazy. I me. would. Oh, well, that's very nice of you. Uh, anything you want to plug? <sighs> no, just <laughs> Patriot Act. Patriot Act. Sundays <laughs> at uh, three uh, in the morning comes out. Yeah, like I, I don't even know. Yeah. Oh, I guess yeah. It's like midnight. Uh, midnight Pacific, right? Pacific. Yeah. It's so. the Netflix way. Yeah, but uh, yeah, Patriot Act. The Samanage and I guess Twitter. I'm at me Scott Vroman, but I, you know my name doesn't sound like it said, so <laughs> no one's gonna know. Whatever. Uh, all right, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you.
has been a Boardwalk Audio podcast. For more information and shows, visit BoardwalkAudio.com. Don't forget to rate and subscribe now.